What's up, gamers? Uh, welcome back to The Hideaway. I am your host, Don Jovino, the Hovesmeister. And today we are having a spoilery discussion of the ending, and I guess a general retrospective, of the Jump series, The Promised Neverland. And uh, for those who don't know, I, myself, and many of my co-hosts here were, well, all of my co-hosts here, we had a recurring live stream for about a year where we discussed each of the Jump series, and The Promised Neverland was one of those. Uh, so, I will introduce my co-hosts here. We have Grail. Hello. Dr. Nova. Good morning. Good morning for me. And my most regular podcast co-hosting bud, Wensleydale. Hello. Uh, how are you all doing, by the way? Pretty good, aside the heat wave and no rain coming in for the next ten days. I mean, I'm doing rotten, the world has gone to shit, but I'm, I'm very excited to talk about the series um, since, like, the big episode we did with Chris about The Promised Neverland. Um, mm. it's, it'll be great to gauge how much our opinions, or if at all, our opinions changed um, since that time. Eh, taking it one day at a time, but this morning I'm feeling decent enough and couldn't really sleep that well, so, you know, halfway through you might you might hear right. me just, like, softly dozing in the background <laughs> but that also could be because we're talking about the promised neverland mm. yeah myself i've been doing all right i've recently watched through all of the midnight gospel which is a very interesting netflix series it's by pendleton ward the creator of adventure time Ooh. and um it's not for everyone but i think it's a very interesting series because it's very experimental it kind of feels like people recorded conversations of people while they were stoned and then made an episode around it that was just as psychedelic and weird and i can imagine it, i think it's cool that it exists because it allows for more experimental animated shows and it's also probably got a good audience because uh i mean i can't confirm myself of course because Hoven with an H is a good Christian channel that does not condone the use of drugs, but <laughs> I have a feeling it might be quite good to watch while high. So yeah, that, uh, that's what I've been up to. Don't do drugs, kids. Uh, and don't implement laws that unfairly target people of colour for the use of drugs. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, so to get into the uh, the main topic. So first of all, I think we should all go over our general thoughts on The Promised Neverland. Um... And I guess I'll start on that front. Uh, the Promised Neverland for me, it's a series that I, I did really like for the initial Gracefield house arc. And then um, I sort of slowly fell out of love with it. And I've developed kind of a, a bitterness towards it. Somewhat irrationally, I'd say. Because as I just as I fell out of love with it, which was around the Goldie Pond arc, the that was when a certain clique of shonen Twitter got very elitist about this series and it kind of became this sort of special thing like that that stands above all the other jump series and it's so it's it's so smart and clever and and there was also very much kind of a mystery box thing surrounding this series because people don't want to spoil both the initial reveal that they're actually being eaten by demons and then what happens once they get out of the orphanage so i found the discussion surrounding it quite kind of annoying and so then when everyone else started to get disappointed with this series, which was around, like, the climax in the invasion of the city. I'm like, oh, so now you're on the same page as me, right? Now we can be elitist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a series that I had a lot of 
somewhat unfair bitterness towards. Um, I gotta say, recently I have made peace with it a bit more uh, in revisiting the earlier material. But yeah, and I guess going into the climax of this series, I thought it offered a very interesting moral quandary with what Norman wanted to do with the demons versus uh, Emma's very pacifist response, and I wanted to see that resolved in an interesting way. That's what I wanted out of it. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, what, I'll, what, what were other people's general thoughts going into the climax, I guess? For the climax, well, I would have to put it like this. My thoughts in the series are like a really good dip in a roller coaster. It starts just going down and I'm screaming in excitement, but slowly the incline seems to get more and more even. So it's still fun and until it's just on a flat surface and not moving. And I just don't have any care because this is not fun. This is not, not bad enough to get me interested. It's just there. And that's kind of why I had no expectations for the ending, so it could not disappoint me or really thrill me either, because I think some parts could have worked if I still had any investment and wasn't just on my phone waiting for this thing to be over. Uh, what about you, Nova? Um, we'll, we'll get into this more later, but the thing that I thought was good about The Promised Neverland died a long time ago, so it, it was definitely the issue for me of being like... I, I'm not going to say that the end... I, I didn't go into the ending thinking that, like, oh, this is going to be an absolute train wreck. But I was kind of very aware that it wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. So I did kind of check out to some degree going into it. Um, but, you know, like any series ending, I'm always curious to see how it goes. Because I feel like, especially lately, we've kind of gotten into the habit of thinking that... <laughs> Shonen endings are gonna suck because it, it's definitely become like a common thing in the genre just to be like, yeah, that series was good, but God, like that ending sucked. Like we're sort of we we had the that issue with Soma. Uh, there's the debate around we never learn right now in terms of how they're handling that, mm. and. Yeah, I'm probably gonna do a podcast episode on that when it finally wraps up yeah, as well. Yeah, and. Um. So, yeah. you know, it was definitely just sort of unfortunate to be like, yeah, here's another, like, check mark onto that theory. Okay, so, um, and then last of all, Wensleydale, I believe you have quite a substantial amount to say about your thoughts on the series and its ending, so why don't you go into that for us? Yeah, um, my thoughts on the series, I mostly shared, um, my thoughts on the series with, uh, with the rest of you i um, i thought it was really good in the gracefield arc and for how we say that the endings in shonen manga usually suck in this case the ending were like uh, three fourths of the series but there is something about the promised neverland ending that makes me feel weird for the longest time i couldn't connect with any characters that were introduced in tandem with Kaiyoshirai's, for the most part, individualistic storytelling, it meant that only Emma could make any genuine connection with them, um, which in turn resulted in me feeling sick of her blind optimism and her hope for a peaceful resolution to everything, even if I admire and want to share her values. Maybe this was due to the oversaturation of her presence throughout the story, with no side characters of much importance to balance it out. Maybe it's the lack of challenge she and her flock of sheep has faced since Gracefield. 
maybe it just feels less clever now that uh, conflict is solved by use of firearms instead of, you know, mind games. It seems bizarre that in my head when I hear The Promised Neverland, I still want to say, oh yeah, uh, it's uh, it's one of the best series in recent Shonen Jump, even if my positive feelings about it mostly end with the Gracefield arc. To be fair, I, I do want to say that uh, upon uh, reading through this series again, I found it much better in bulk than week to week. But as I've said on Manga Mosaic before, I, th I think I'm more of a binge reader in general. And it's true, I can't deny how enjoyable the Gracefield arc was to read, but looking back on it, I have to stress that it was a very faulty Act 1 to the series. Out of the seven major characters that were introduced, two seemingly didn't survive it, two were severely underdeveloped and uh, were never important again, uh, one got left behind, and uh, one Ray uh, culminated his character arc so early on that he was uh, functionally a non-entity throughout the rest of the story. Uh, this left only Emma for us to latch on to, and to be honest, she's not a character that evolves a lot later. Rather, she becomes this beacon of hope to one character, and then another, and then another, and always closing this distance between her and the other characters the same way. Uh, you could say that she does this over and over again, while all I want to do is meet her other friends. And yet, Emma and her tedious flock of sheep notwithstanding, I felt an emotional connection there with the last few chapters that I can't adequately justify. Like, five years ago, if someone showed me Emma's speech to Peter Archery, I would have called it pretentious and moved on with my life. N now I can't see it as that. I felt a raw, visceral reaction to the world turning rotten, and a as it does, you can't do anything and it's frustrating and there's really no pretense about it. I felt like I was able to get something out of my mind that, that I repressed for a long time and for how um for how i very often feel like i'm surrounded by people trying to be emma being like oh hold tight we'll survive we will get through this the ending of the promised neverland feels very validating in defiance of that it very much feels like kayashirai is like yeah there is more than a small chance that you won't survive this, uh, that you'll be dead. This world is headed to shit and you can't escape it. Um, in fact, this world is probably worse than you see in this series. Uh, you see some hope? Well, sucks to be you. It'll, it'll probably be a decade or more before we'll get our shit together. Now, at the same time, I realise that Shirai and Amisu didn't in intend that to come across as that, since, uh, since they do... They do leave the kids with a happy ending, and I, I don't blame them for it. First of all, it's Shonen Jump, and, and second of all, yeah, they do deserve it. And I, I don't think it's... But I don't think it mars this connection for me. The absurdity of of some of the things that happen, because, yeah, they are quite absurd, like the demons unanimously agreeing to not eat meat and to eliminate the farms and uh, with no opposition whatsoever... Well, it, it's too removed from reality to bother me about uh, being in a conflict with with this kind of message. And now that I think about it, it, it kind of works in favour of it, as paradoxically the world where the demons have farms uh, 
of humans that they breed them to eat is kind of the escapist one instead of the one the kids are trying to go to. And I still think that the price Emma had to pay was, even though it all ended well, uh, it was thematically appropriate to this connection I felt. The world may get better, but you won't be here to see it. Anyway, the, uh, this is completely absurd, but here's some hope. Enjoy it while it lasts. Hmm, that was very nicely put. Uh, and, and you guys thought we couldn't get hideaway rambles onto the main hideaway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, because for me, this ending, it's it's the right ending. I just, I have issues and reservations with the way it was handled, with the execution. Like, I do like the fact that Emma loses her memories and she does actually give something up. Uh, the problem is, everything about the framing that Shirai's and, Dem- and Kozuka's framing is either so overwhelmingly happy or so overwhelmingly sad, and there's never any room for, like, nuance. Mm, yeah. Uh, which I think sometimes can be used to great dramatic effect. Like, one example of where I really, really liked this was when they first met Norman again. Um, I really liked that because it feels emotionally genuine to what they'd be feeling. They have this big rush of, oh, we're so happy to see Norman again. We finally ate together and slept together again. And it was it, it's this big emotional rush that these kids have of seeing their friend for the first time in ages and after thinking he was dead. And then you have like the rug pull moment of actually Emma doesn't want to annihilate all the demons. And, you know, we don't want to... Um, and, and, like, she's been holding th- these feelings back, and she doesn't know what to do with them. And, like, I think that's quite an effective use of that, whereas a lot of the framing of both Redemptions and of the way this series ended were very u- either universally happy or universally tragic, without any middle ground. Uh, and it didn't really feel appropriate Yeah, yeah I, um, I, 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 I totally well. get why well, it would kind of uh, even... Uh, now that I think about it, it may have kind of even uh, ruined that m- moment for me. Whereas um, um, I-, I would I would have thought it appropriate, but uh, yeah, th- there's no really much differentiation there. Yeah, and I think one of the tragic endings that really didn't work was with Isabella. But I think we'll get to that when we get to yeah. No, I mean we're here, kind of yeah. we're kind of in an we're sort of generally talking about the ending, but we can go back and forth on different different ideas. Uh, and yeah, Isabella. I remember when it happened. Isabella's sudden death really pissed me off because it's like you have this morally grey character, and 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 it's it's interesting to see where she goes. But it kind of goes from all the children just accept her and are totally fine with it to. But then she has to die in order to be redeemed, uh, and she is totally redeemed. And in order to, and then even in, in order to do that, we had to grab like a demon that we'd never seen before, uh, out of nowhere. Uh, whereas prior, it just seemed like all the demons were totally on board with abolishing the farms, uh, and both of the demons that were established characters who were really obsessed with hunting, which were, I think it was Mujica and. Wait, is, is it Mujica or Sonju? Who's Sonju. So, yeah, Sonju and and Louvis are Fucking both Lewis! redeemed and elsewhere. <laughs> Fucking Louvis. Um. Yeah. No. Um. And so yeah. you can even show Musica again. At, no, it's Sonju after the whole capture thing. Yeah, it's like where does where did his whole thing about wanting to hunt again go? <laughs> um. That was just kind of. 
did I miss something, or did he just kind of drop? Did they just kind of drop I it? I think he has a panel where uh, where he like says, oh, "Okay, I'm really frustrated about this girl, but I'll guess. Uh, I, I guess I'll uh, I'll play along." <sighs> yeah, I think with all the complexity and question rate they built up, the ending with the demons was just way too clean. Mm. Like, I'm not opposed to that sort of thing, but they. They raise these questions that you can't just ignore them when you bring them up. Yeah. And again, it's like, I think, I don't on paper mind Emma's Emma's simplified, like, optimism versus the, the cruel harshness of the world being opposed against each other and having her win. It's just, you need to slightly broaden the questions and not go not not well, maybe maybe the opposite narrow the questions and simplify the threats a little in order to make that work um for example one motif that i do like a lot with the way that emma's victories are handled is the fact that sometimes her plans go awry but it's her kindness and the way she endears herself to other people that end up being the missing piece like that's why i like the fact that the um the the moms and and Isabella end up supporting her in the end, even when it seems like she's at the end of her rope with Ratri outsmarting her. Um, and I, I like that motif. Uh, that that that's like it's a nice way to realize her her goals without having her be endlessly good at her plans. But yeah. Um, Nova, do you have any any thoughts on the ending as a whole? Um, I'm very very split. Um, because. Mm. There are parts of it, here's the thing, uh, the big argument I've seen from people is that it's too easy. And there are certain parts of it that I agree with, and there are certain parts of it uh, that I don't. And do I agree that the whole, like, oh, Luvis makes a speech to, like, 40 people in one demon city... And then the entire world is just like, well, I, yeah, I guess we should stop eating, eating that. Like, okay, no, that does seem a little, a little bit easy, particularly because we've only really seen, like, a France-sized portion of the demon world. Yeah, I would also say that the demons are fucking sheep. Like, first they're, the evil blood, the blood is evil, it must be killed, yeah! Actually, it's not evil. Our farm should be yeah, abolished. Yeah, they just go with whatever the last. Yeah, guy but said. but some people also sort of said just like, well, and you know, this was back when uh, we were under the impression that the weird like demon baby god thing was like, oh, I don't need any any price to change the promise. Uh, oh, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, dra- the dra- the drowning Daffy Duck sound. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, the choking Daffy oh. Duck sound. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, at the time, I was actually completely for that because I I like to look at uh, conflicts from a perspective of basic humanity because I find that that, particularly in manga these days, is kind of getting lost where everything has to be like quote-unquote logical and has to like make sense in terms of, like, commerce, and basic humanity gets lost. So I was kind of completely for the person being like, 
hey, you know, the price is probably the fact that, like, we've had a controlled genocide on your people for hundreds upon hundreds of years, and asking you to now, like, make me a hamburger is kind of like the definition of privilege. <laughs> so maybe we should just be like, yeah, you can go. Like, that kind of made sense to me just based on, like, because, okay, to, to go back in Promised Neverland for a little while, the basic premise of the Promised Neverland was always slightly flawed in the sense that the way it was explained was like, like, we demons wanted to eat humans, so we ate them all the time. However, the humans started to kill us because we were eating them. So really, it was wrong on both sides when you think about it. And like, no, it wasn't wrong on both sides. <laughs> the demons were murdering humans, and the humans didn't give a fuck about the demons until they started killing them. Well, it wasn't that they wanted to eat the humans. It was that if they didn't eat the humans, then they lost their minds, basically. Like, who they were would die as they did. Again, that, that, that wasn't how it was explained at the time. We sort of found that out later on. Yeah, that, that's sort of how we found that out later on. But it was just sort of the way it was presented, in, in the sense that, like, it was sort of presented as, like, wrongs on both sides coming together to make a right. And it was sort of like... The, the humans were really just being like, "Hey, can you not murder all of us?" Maybe. I guess. I guess to um to go into, we have a few questions for a Q and A segment, which I'm gonna save most of them for the end. But um, I guess I, I guess the uh the first one, uh, it's where did it went wrong is an interesting wrong. <laughs> yes, and yes, this this person, this Reddit user, mm. did spell it that way, because I feel like we've typically had a very different response to a lot of the manga community, whereas. There is one camp that feels like this series distinctly went wrong at, like, the final arc, whereas we started to have reservations on it at the Goldie mm. Pond arc. Um, and I think one thing I've noticed in rereading it is I don't really mind the shift in genre and at Goldie Pond, because it does definitely go through quite an abrupt genre shift, uh, where it's sort of guns blazing... <laughs> uh, r uh, rifle combat and all that. Um, I yeah, don't I mind it in 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 theory. It's the fact that they it's so abrupt because Promised Neverland has always had an element of genre fusion to it, uh, and a lot of that I quite like. Like it has this warped fairy tale fantasy aesthetic that is also fused with an element of sci-fi, and the sci-fi elements are kind of vaguely explained, and I like that they're vaguely explained, um, and I like the blending of it in some instances, like, the, the, the seven walls, and the way that, 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 that fuses the two, and then the actual Goldie Pond, where it's, like, they have this weird, they have, like, a door with a scientific computer room, futuristic, and then they move on, and you find, like, a fantasy pond inside of it, um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, have minded the fact that they moved on to and we have guns. It's just, I'd have rather they were implemented more slowly. I would say the single chapter where I think I started to really dislike this series was, with that one girl with a beanie, I'm oh. not gonna bother trying to remember her name because this series cast got bloated. Mm. But that one girl with a beanie just stood up on a branch, <laughs> dual wielding machine guns or assault rifles to be accurate. And just firing on the demons, because as someone who has actually fired those things, that was I know my how favorite chapter. that is for a little kid <laughs> to be doing. That was that was one of my favorite chapters in the entire series. 
just to, like, compare that mm. <laughs> to, like, early on when, like, it was actually, like, a thing they had to account for. For the fact that, like, they were children and they weren't actually physically strong, so they couldn't mm. overpower mom and they had to think of other ways. To cutting to now when there's, like, a, a yeah. 12-year-old dual-wielding machine guns. Yeah, and that's also mm. one thing... I would say about the goalie pond going wrong is that's where the cast really began to get bloated. When they had actual characters with actual names who weren't just part of the background cast. Or well, not not just that, but actual names and somewhat established histories and it's, personalities. Yeah. It's like, I remember there was that one kid with like the goggles who was doing a huge thing about, oh no, Zack might be dead. I remember all these things about Zack. And then he does a huge flashback telling us and not showing us <laughs> And I don't, I don't necessarily believe in show don't tell in all cases. Like it's, it's very much a an American cultural rule that isn't necessarily an absolute. But in this case, it is just annoying. But I'd have rather have seen this character's perspective for a while than just be told all about them, or just be told purely from the perspective of this is what it means to Zach to to Goggle Kid, or at least. Tell us before the thing has happened. Don't tell us afterwards how important that's, that that, was. That's kind mm -hmm. of that's kind of what I'm. Uh, I kind of answered this question in the in in my big monologue. But, but yeah, th th there could be there could be a few moments where I um, have d given up to a certain extent on the series. Like uh, for example, uh, for example, the chapter where they got guns. Um, for ex for example, uh, for example, the chapter when uh, Ray was lit, and uh, f from then on, for uh, for quite a few dozen uh, dozen chapters, the the, uh, the series heavily relied on end of chapter pretty forced cliffhangers in uh, in the forest arc. Okay, that's interesting, because on a reread, I really liked the forest arc. Actually, I remember being more positive on it. Uh, when we were covering it on Stannis stream, and I think it actually holds up quite well. Um, I really like details, like world-building details, like the Goopna flower, where it's like it's both a religious hunt. It's both used in religious hunting ceremonies, and it preserves the meat. Because I think that's quite an that's quite an interesting. That's a good, that's a good way to convey like a detail like religious practices, because a lot of religious practices in re you know in art in the real world often correlate to, oh, the way, good ways to preserve meat, or particular diseases that were found within meat, that are, that are found within meat prepared wrong, and, and that sort of thing, so, yeah. I'm not change, uh, I'm not saying that I wouldn't change my mind if I, if I, um, if I reread this arc, and unfortunately in preparation for this podcast I only managed to, to reread the last arc in its, in its entirety, but mm. overall I think that, that, yeah, Mostly why I couldn't connect with the series afterwards after Gracefield was uh, was due to how Gracefield established its cast, uh, how it how it neglected Don Gilder basically until the kind of maneuvers against Norman as um, as they were searching for Sanjan Mujica, which uh, if if this was uh, of the, how they were trying to out outsmart him, uh, I feel like I I'd enjoy it more. But it uh, it did get resolved rather quickly, unfortunately. How um, how most of the uh, most of the interesting characters uh, uh, got left behind, uh, and how later on only Emma and Ray in tandem with her 
were able to to have any um, interesting interactions, any interesting do- dynamics with the new characters they met, and um, how the extended cast got mostly treated as a crowd rather than characters in their own right. How the Gracefield kids even suddenly got got treated uh, as oh no, Chris is dying. Uh, we love Chris so much. Uh, Chris was always so important with us. He he was here from the start, but since he's not not really important to the reader it didn't really hit us hard unfortunately yeah because that's the thing it's that's that's something that i think shirai has or at least shirai's editors i don't remember which has been quite upfront about in an interview that promised neverland is not a character driven series it's a plot driven one and i think that can work when the plot framework is really good I think Death Note is a good example of this, uh, where it's more driven around like a, a specific set of rules mm. and how these cat the cat and mouse game works within those rules. Uh, and then um, I think this is similar with the dynamic that the Gracefield House arc had, where you had that cat and mouse game between Isabella and the kids, and so it sort of paints over the problems of the secondary cast being not very fleshed out because it's like okay we still have this cool conflict and this very effective villain um so it doesn't really matter whereas like the genre shift did, did kind of affect my opinion on that as well and how how the extended cast were utilized uh, yeah it it was really uh, it was really effective while it was a short series mm-hmm. and uh and uh, I, I think I remember that we had this conversation with Caster where, where he was like very iffy uh, on whether this series could survive a, a genre shift. I was oh no. Uh, well, I, th- I think it'd be interesting to, to explore this world. I, I mean, it could theoretically work. I mean, to go back to my thing on the guns, I don't mind that they introduced them or used them prominently. I'd have kind of liked it if maybe the Goldie Pond arc had it so that they had some occasional use of rifles, but because they're all kids who are relatively new to them... Uh, it's like they can't wholly rely on them, and sometimes shots will go wrong, so they need to rely on, like, traps and stuff as well to deal with the demons. Yeah, just be the Ewoks. Yeah. Yeah, be the Ewoks. Because, like, by the end of the series, when we get to that final arc with Storming Gracefield House, I am totally cool with everyone, like, completely loaded to the gills. (laughs) Like, that's fine, because you're at the climax at that point, and they've had time to train, and also you have adult characters present. Um, Because, like, that's one thing I like about... A series that this often gets... Com- another series this often gets compared to, Attack on Titan, I do kind of like the way that in that series, issues with it aside, which are very notable, um, they do kind of evolve the way that they take care of the Titans, and that's a very slow burn. However, at the start, they have they have the simple means of the 3D maneuver gear and the like sta- giant Stanley knives, and then they get new technology to take them down and new means to take them down as it goes along. So I quite like that slow shift to different kinds of weaponry. Just let it occur more naturally. So here's the thing. Yeah. When I hear that a series is more plot-driven and isn't character-driven, I think sometimes people mistake that for not having characters, period. Which is kind of what happened in the in the Promised Neverland. Because when I think of a series that isn't that is plot-driven but not character-driven, the characters exist... They're just very simple and clear as to who the characters are. You know, if this character is like a hothead, then they act that way. They're a very hot-headed character. And maybe once in a while you'll see them like the peak behind the curtain. But for the most part, that's their personality. You get clear characters who maybe don't necessarily have depth, but who you can name. Oh yeah, that's how that character acts. 
Promised Neverland didn't after a certain point. Not because, and this is where I think the failing was, if you don't want to be a character-driven series, that's fine. But A, I'm of the opinion that in the Gracefield House arc, that's just flat out not true. I, I do not think you can look at that arc and say that, oh yeah, the, the characters are just there to serve the story. Absolutely not. If anything, it is a huge character exploration on Emma, Ray, and Norman. And when you leave then, it just sort of becomes this herd of characters who all kind of have the same interchangeable personality, and yet we're meant to have not only individual connection to them, but individual allocation to the point that, like, it's not just a question of, like, oh, one of our own is getting sick and we have to do something. It's that something's happening to Chris, of all people. And it's like, oh, is Chris going to be okay? And it's like, I, I don't know who this is. And then Anna shows up and they're like, but I'm going to say them like, oh, thank God Anna's here. It's like, I don't know who Anna is either. Yes, we're all individuals. Or not. <laughs> okay, I want to try a challenge for you. Name one of the characters in Goldie Bond who is not Lucas Nigel. or Hugo. New characters, that is. The World War One uh, flying I think, ace. I, uh, I think he was the uh, he was the uh, goggles Ashanka guy. Yeah, the flying ace. Yeah, goggles boy. Uh, Zach, because I I've listed him in okay, my notes. Uh, let's, as the, uh, the... let's let's do a uh, let's do a competition out of it. Uh, let's each uh, name one un until uh, until one of us loses. Okay, so Zach and Nigel have been spent. Sure. Uh, whose turn is it? Oh no! Um, Let, let's just say first one to name any but one of those three wimps. Uh, Adam. Oh, he was the big guy. Which one was he? Damn it, uh, that was oh, mine. The, the big, big guy, guy, yeah. Violet. Yeah, he Violet. had some importance as a blood MacGuffin. Um. But yeah, that. Oh, God, I know them by I know them by like look. Yeah, same. But I can't wait, wait, one sec, one sec. Oh God. Pepe, Pepe, Pepe. Oh, oh damn it, yes. Pepe. Yes. Um. <laughs> Yeah, who was the who was the important one? Uh, he, like he wasn't. Uh, th that was Lucas, but the Grail important. named him. No, 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 not the Lucas. The short-haired girl. Was like Lucas is like the no, short-haired girl, right? Disciple. Lucas. It was like the oh. Oliver. Oh yeah, the yeah, one with the, the streak in his hair. He, he was like a big deal. Yeah, and like they did like a big emotional beat at the end with Rattry, where there's like him and like Hat Girl and a bunch of the Goldie Pond crew are like. You're not our dad to Rattree, uh, and like they have a flashback to um, you to Lucas, <laughs> and I feel like I really like that beat. In theory, yeah, again, what? it's in theory. I just wish these characters what had been out more. What was his name? Yeah, because we did not even meet Rattree <laughs> until the last arc. Uh, Peter Rattree. Who was he? Like, I this is genuinely like I because he was such a big deal. But I'm like I don't don't. He remember. was William Minerva's brother, and he, and he was the gatekeeper. But but. Aka William Minerva, aka James. I'm trying to figure out what the name was of that of like Lucas's like big disciple. Like I I can't oh, right, remember right, his name okay. for the life of me. Oliver. Huh. 
Oliver. I said it a few okay, times Oliver. already. It was Oliver. Okay. I... And uh, and uh, with Oliver, I do remember this very distinct moment where uh, he and a few other kids go- goes to pick up Emma and they have horses and uh, Emma's like, whoa, you have horses, you know, to ride her horses. How come? And he's like, well, we weren't just sitting around and doing nothing. And I'm, I'm just like, who you are sure? you? Yeah, this, this, um... This the story does increasingly imply like employ Game of Thrones travel time yeah. as it goes along, which would be fine if it wasn't cutting between all the plot lines so quickly in the climax. Because it's like if we had time spent substantial time spent away from Emma and Co between the points that they pop mm. up, I'd probably like I'd be able to buy into the idea that they took a while to get to wherever they got to. Um, yeah. So in terms of like just question of like where where we thought the shift happened. Um, Goldie Pond definitely started that for me in the sense that I found the fight with Louvis to just, like, be unbearable in the sense Fucking of... Louvis! In this, That's the problem. It's like, it's a really badly done action it, sequence, but Louvis is a pretty damn cool villain. kind of is, but I don't know why we had to start stacking demon powers on him in the sense that, like, he, he's mm. a di- giant demon... With like a giant weapon and an extremely hard mask. I don't know why we also have to give him like mega super speed where like he's catching all the bullets and stuff like that. Cause like at that point, like what the characters are able to do and what their enemies can do just seems so disparate and so you, you, you know, like borderline like different series abilities. That it just kind of—it's almost like the the issue that some people have, like with the online series Death Battle, where it's like, what is the point mm. of comparing these two when there's just such disparate abilities and such disparate power mm. sets that it just seems so strange? And that's how it started to be, where the demons just started to be almost like these crazy super beings that they really weren't before. But in my mind, where I sort of was just like no, this is starting to get, like, genuinely bad, was directly after the Goldie Pond arc when, uh... Oh, uh, uh... He had a really stupid name. Uh, like, the... the Andrew? Yeah, Andrew, thank you. When Andrew... When Andrew stormed <laughs> the base, because... <laughs> That's sort of when... Yeah, that entire section sucks ass. It, it, I completely <laughs> forgot about it. It... it, it... <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna go to the defense in one point. Like, most of that fucking shit sucked ass. But there was one good chapter that I will not even say, like, it would have been good, but, like, I just say it was good. And that was the flashback we had. I was gonna mention that. It, it is very good. It is that sort of, like, bit of humanity that I find is sometimes missing when characters die. But why why no big explosion for his death though? It's like a tiny panel when both times we see it. Yes, no. That's that's a personal thing. That's not really a problem. Don't get me wrong. The the chapter definitely could have been stretched out. I personally think the moment where Hugo is meeting up with his family in the afterlife should have been like three pages longer. But it had a moment where I was like, "This Mm. is where the shift is happening," and I can't stand it. Yeah, and then we just had kids get sniped out of nowhere, and it's barely acknowledged by that, Emma. That's, what I'm, that's sort of what I'm talking about, is there's that moment yeah. where they're running down the tunnel, and they look, and the two kids who were guarded, who, by the way, have the exact same character design, 
barely have like interesting hair, have completely blank expressions, like are just such obvious filler characters, just fall down dead, and they're like, oh man, we're in trouble. And there's that's sort of the moment where the whole point of the Promised Neverland, which is like humanity in the face of absolute horror, just goes out the window because those two people are never mentioned again. We don't even know who they are. We don't know yeah. their names. We never find we out. We don't even know were these like Goldie Pond or exactly. Field House survivors. Mm. And like, it's especially like because Emmerin Goldie Pond had a very nice moment where she had to process the fact that these kids died mm -hmm. and that she was powerless to do anything. Uh, and it was clearly trying to, it's really meant to continue along that because right after these two being sniped. We get a scene where she really wants to save Chris, and she still values every single life, and so it's so weird that she wouldn't react to it. And yeah, I think Andrew as a whole would have, they could have either, like, established him more as a villain, so that when he he goes off the rails at the end it would have more impact, or just go full hog on, he's just an emotionless killer, he's just a militia man, like an obst a physical obstacle. Um, I, I will say, though, Andrew does... Result in my favorite so bad it's good moment in this entire series. Where, like, he's gonna. Is that when the demon comes out of nowhere and Oh, eats him? it's incredible. Where he's just gonna kill a kid and he's like, I'm crazy now. I'm insane. I have, like, the two faced thing. But you don't understand. You're just food. And then the demon just comes out out of nowhere. Like a hundred foot tall demon that ain't nobody saw coming. And then, like, he just turns around, like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god, with Andrew and Peter Rattree, uh essentially doing the, uh, the same thing, I, I have kind of a thought that the Promised Neverland villains kind of evolve in the same way that the, the fairy tale villains do. Which is devolve. <laughs> Which is just, ah, uh, uh, I am calm and composed. No, I am insane! Yeah, that, that's an interesting debate in regards to Peter Rattree, because I've heard some people argue like, but then the whole point is to unravel that the, the the hatred of those at the top is petty and is bad. And I don't have a problem with petty villains on paper, but it's he's very poorly established, so I don't really... Yeah, again, I don't know his deal. Not to mention, we're then supposed to feel some kind of sympathy towards him when we see his flashback. Mm. Like, no. You established something completely different, and now you're asking... Wait, is this Peter Rattree or Andrew? <laughs> Okay. Peter Rattray. We're kind of jumping about. Andrew had no flashback. He was just, I am called me evil. No, I'm crazy. <laughs> there was a moment where I was like, holy shit, did Andrew have a flashback and I just forgot it completely? Um, I would not have blamed you if that actually was the case. Because I, I would say, like, I think one of the questions was, who is our least favorite character? And with how little character there is, I don't have too many among the main cast, but among villains, it's either Peter Rattray or Andrew. I cannot decide. I think, I, I, I think like I'll the... go with Andrew as the worst for me. Yeah. Um, I, I did like the moment of Peter Rattray's death and the, the, yeah. the, the whole uh, Emma's whole speech, as I said. So not to mention Rattray was actually set up from a pretty early point. Like he was, he was introduced midway through Goldie Pond, and he he popped up some some of the ways through. And I did like some of the beats with the kids confronting him, like, on paper. Uh, I keep saying this. I like this thing on paper. Just, the execution isn't there. So, yeah. I think there is more redeemable about him for me than Andrew. Um, yeah, I was just gonna, also, when he's losing, he becomes just laughable with how he screams, cries, and whines. Like, I would not, I would think, 
in the anime, they should just, like, insert the light screen from the Netflix Death Note movie. You would fit I, so I, I well. just want Kermit the Frog mm-hmm. sounds. Like, <laughs> just, I don't know. If we are talking about, like, if we are sort of moving to, like, the character thing, like, favorite and least favorite, my, my least favorite, just from a writing standpoint, oh my god, the Queen of the Demons is awful. Like, it is... Mm-hmm. Like, this is supposed to be, like, just such, like, a high, like, horrible, evil character. And, oh my god, there is nothing to them. Like, there is nothing except, like, just, like, eh, I'm hungry, I like eating. And then there's sort of the revol- re- resolution <sighs> of being, like... I kind of like the... I Again, I kind of like the idea of the queen just being this someone who has just become the manifestation of greed over the centuries uh, and that that is yeah. what undoes them i think my my only real misgiving with the queen confrontation itself is that there was no interesting staging to it like i'd have liked maybe her chasing emma and the others a bit so there was some peril before sonju goes up and realizes like you're just like an unstable wreck and oh my oh my wo mo shinderu and then she explodes it- um, it, it was just something I couldn't stand in the sense of, like, where the villains have come to in this series. In the sense that, like, mm-hmm. the big bad just seems like such a such a nothing character when I look back on it. In the sense mm-hmm. of, like, I, I just want to ask very honestly, if I didn't mention the Queen at some point, would anyone else have, like, brought them up? Uh, I would have, because I wanted to say that point about the th- how I felt her uh, conflict was resolved, but yeah. I would not have because she was not really important the story. Yeah, I mean this thing, uh, the series, as, as well as the villains as individual characters, it's very weird about their dynamics because it's like I had this back in Goldie Pond where you have both Lord Bayon, who's meant to be running the thing, and Luvis, who is much more in the forefront, and that's just weird because it's then like, what role is Bayon meant to have? He has so little presence, def- despite being the guy who runs. The cat, the like the whole safari, uh, and I feel like he it doesn't have to be the same, he doesn't have to be the center stage villain, but in that case, like, what is his deal? And then it's, it's sort of a similar thing, like, I feel like Raptory would have felt much less out of nowhere at the end if he'd had some sort of featuring midway through the queen conflict, like maybe just a cutaway to him being like, Yeah, I can't get in contact with the queen now, just to remind us that he's there. <laughs> or just more interactions with, I suppose, Norman, yeah. uh, when Norman yeah. was still captive. Yeah, because Norman's the first I... character who of the main cast who meets Rattree, so you could have easily have more of a dynamic between them. Yeah. Uh, a- anyway, what was what was the question again? <laughs> uh, uh, it guess... was... Favorite and least favorite characters. Okay. I guess we in were. I guess we were talking about that, but but uh, now I kind of remember that there was there was this whole portion of the series where, where like Norman was executing his plan. Uh, that one faction of demons uh, and I think another faction of demons. Oh, one was the queens, and w- one was this this exiled demon called uh, Gielan, I think. Oh yeah, Gielan. And. Mm. Gielan, yeah. There were like 10 chapters of God, that's right. um, of the backstories uh, over and over again, and um, <laughs> I couldn't get into it at least the first time, b- because the faces mm. don't tend to yes. serve themselves well that's, to, to that's like, empathizing with them. That's an interesting point of discussion. Like, is it fair to to say the, this doesn't work because they don't have conventionally human ways to express, or is that just a bias should be overlooked? Um, 
And yeah, that is something I am torn on as well. Maybe. It's an interesting question, to be sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's hard. Because, again, I, I don't think all the demon characters are necessarily bad. I just think that, like, sometimes the storytelling mm. gets so compressed that it's hard to elaborate fully. Um, I guess in terms of a favorite, I, I bounced around a lot. In, in the original time when we recorded this podcast, I named Emma. Just because mm. I... You, you know, in a, in a world of grim, dark protagonists and overly edgy storytelling where every single person has to be horrible for, you know, fans to label them realistic, I adored the fact that there was, like, a ray of positivity in a dark world. Hashtag ray of positivity. No, no, yeah. I, I do really love that hope punk element and... of it. Um, like, I think that's a good way to set it mm-hmm. apart from other post-apocalyptic grimdark yeah. stuff. <laughs> and while I do think that, you know, Emma's character as a whole did sort of take some licks as the series kept going, um, everyone else did too. <laughs> so I can't really, like, say that, like, anyone rose above. So I would probably still say Emma, uh, for me. Okay. Yeah. My, mine is probably Isabella. Uh, as soon as, like, literally as soon as the story focused back on her and the, as, as what she'd been doing with the grandmoms back in the Return to Gracefield stuff, I was instantly more interested again, just because I find the mothers as characters are so interesting, because they have been doing atrocities and they have been complicit, but it's also they kind of felt like they had to be, so th- there's just... Yeah, I'm just instantly so much inve- more invested in them than I am the demons. My favourite character was back then was probably Crone, and it's unfortunate that, that that she got out of the story so quickly. I liked her a lot. Um, uh, she had uh, kind of a similar thing as Isabella going for her, uh, but again, she was inexperienced. She was uh, she was conniving. She were uh, she was goofy, and she like she br- she brought a certain dynamism to uh, to the early part of the series that wouldn't exist uh, without her. Uh, I, I really like it for that, and it's it, it's a shame that I haven't watched the anime yet, but uh, I've heard that they've added uh, some racist stereotyping of her. Yeah, they make her very. Very caricaturish. Mm. Um, it's a bit weird. Um, the anime is sort of a controversial one because it's in some way it definitely takes liberties with the material, whereas like Posica's and Shirai's framing is very much this warped fairy tale with a lot of internal monologue. The anime strips out the internal monologue in favour of wait, sort of horror suspense. Wait, how do you? Uh, which how do you do the, the promised Neverland without internal monologue? That's like seventy percent. Yeah, it, it's a very different kind of vibe. Uh, I don't hate it per se, and apparently the anime is going to go even further in a in a like a different direction with the second season, which I'm interested in because, like I said, the genre shift in Goldie Pond is very awkward to me. So if they took that in more of a suspense direction in the framing. It might work better for me. It might also end up being a huge mess. Who knows? I've also just um, realised that, that I haven't yeah. mentioned my least favourite character. Um, uh, I, d- I don't think I think about uh, characters in the Promised Neverland uh, enough to name one. But but maybe as a group, I would name I I, I would name uh, like Normans and Forces. I uh, for for some reason I thought that they were just an unnecessary addition, and I they were like mm. a force to look out for. 
uh, by Emma and Ray, but they disappeared rather quickly, but, but then, then they reappeared and hmm. they had all this internal stuff I didn't really care about. Maybe they didn't really bother me, mostly because, well, by that point, the un more unnecessary characters was just a stand. I would say that in mm. the uh, latter portion of the uh, of the series, I did th I did think that Louvis w was a shining star of a character, especially on the on on the demon side, that was at least in impactful for me. So I would would mm. name him as a standout character at least. But for my favorite. I would also have to go with Isabella, with just how well executed a villain she was, in comparison, especially in comparison to everyone else after, but even on her own, she had this aura of menace without having to state much. Just her standing in a room would always put you on edge because of what she represented, what she could do in comparison to these children. I think the, the Norman's squad are an interesting phenomenon. It, it, they are a good example of where I think Posica's art is succeeds and where it doesn't, because sometimes her individual character designs can look a bit kind of derpy, uh, which is all right when you've got a bunch of orphan kids who are like sort of this this ragtag group. Um, it's less cool when she tries to draw genuinely like stylish looking action heroes type characters. I, um, I hate the fucking just guy really with, weird. The, with the uh, with the black hair and and the cross on his head or something. I. I don't know what that mm. design was. Wasn't there a dude in an army uniform who didn't really show up much? Who was that? I yeah, I think so. Um, Might have been. Yeah. Because I, I like her to extremes of, like, derpy kids and then very, like, gaunt uh, demons figures slash the, the mothers. Like, those work very yeah. well for me. And then it's, like, all the ones in the middle, like Norman's squad and a lot of the Goldie Pond kids that I just think look really daft. Yeah. I guess to go, to go further on... Demizu's art, um, it's, I've always found it looks much better in colour, but I do think there is a shift midway through Goldie Pond where when her art is allowed to breathe and we're really allowed to see it all, like, it, yes. it, it looks much better, and it, it, yes, and then later on it becomes very drowned by um, cluttered panel layouts and it just doesn't benefit it at the, all. Th there was a moment sort of like before we recorded this when um when Wensleydale um they sent a picture of a panel from uh the the part of the series where they're trying to win you go over and i looked at that panel and i was like oh my god i i have not seen a panel like this in the promised neverland in forever because not only is do the characters have room to breathe but the line work is like thicker and it's not as scratchy and it's just so it, it's just so much nicer and it's genuinely kind of like it, it was almost a shock for me it's like i had totally forgotten i was so used to the promised neverland just being a hoarder of like exposition panels and frantic movement where every single chapter was just trying to pack so much inside mm. that no room was able to breathe it was just a series starved for oxygen. She kind of goes through the same evolution as Kishimoto, I would say, um, because uh, mm -hmm. uh, his uh, his art also becomes more and more scratchy after time skip. Yeah, though I think we can all agree that the color pages were pretty much always yes. excellent. Yes. 
Oh yeah, I'm like spoiled for choice on which one I want to use as the podcast image. Um, they're, they're, so, they're so good. Yeah, like... uh, I particularly love the one of Emma trying to escape Goldie Pond, and it's like a, this ocean that she's drowning in. It's such a cool uh, visual. Yeah. Um, I do like the one with the with the umbrellas with numbers of the characters, serial numbers. Yeah. Um, it's like the scene that you mentioned that got had the image posted from it. The confrontation with Hugo. That's an example of using Emma's very pure friendship is good ideology mm. in a confrontation that's super effective. That is yeah. such a great scene. And I wish we'd had something similar with like Ratchery as opposed to maybe we could have been friends. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I do have to bow out uh, here. All right. Yeah, yeah, this this podcast is getting long yeah. and I do still uh, have more notes did... to get through. So, yeah, it was it was yeah, great to see but from I did want to say before I went. Um... I did like the ending chapter. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm I'm a sucker for happy endings. Yes. Um, and re- regardless of like sort of rough patches throughout, and uh, in my mind, very inappropriate parallels drawn between the real world and their world. Um, <laughs> I do think that the Promise Neverland's thesis as a whole is a good one, and a- a- as ill-advised as it could sometimes be. I do greatly admire a series that, in an extraordinarily grim, dark world, does really try to put forward the message of, like, maybe there is hope. And Wensadale, again, brought up the very good point earlier that The Promised Neverland does not entirely do that. Uh, it, it does sort of have other characters who are like, you know what, maybe this will be okay, but I probably won't be alive to see it. And... That I do also think is powerful and works very well, um, but I will say that overall I did enjoy reading *The Promised Neverland*. I'm looking forward to the author's next series, and I- I'm grateful for the shakeup in *Shonen* that it started very early on before just kind of reverting. So that- that's all. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Yeah. See ya. All right. See ya. Uh, yeah. So, where where was I gonna go? Yeah, I guess to talk about the ending a bit more. Oh yeah, I do really like the... what, what it's going for, but I do also have some some huge problems with it, like... I, okay, it's nice that it's not just doing the look at all these characters and their kids and who got paired up with who. That would not have been appropriate for this series at all, and it's nice that they yes. don't go for that. Um, but then, on the other hand, I don't... there's not even a double-page spread in the last chapter, which kind of ties in with my problem with the art, and like how how they rushed through it. I feel like one of the emotional beats in the last chapter, at the very least, deserved a big full-page spread to really let it sink yeah, in. Yeah, I'm glad it did get um, 27 pages for, for the final chapter. Mm, it definitely d- did get more than Bleach did. Yeah. Um, I did find on a reread, this series, like you said earlier, Wensleydale, it's very bingeable. It's not one that holds up well week to week at all, but I did... In, I got a lot more out of the forest arc and the Goldie Pond arc on a reread. Um, and even the early parts of the final arc, where, I must stress, I think when they initially reintroduced Norman and had that whole dilemma, I was super into Promise Neverland for the first time in ages, and then they dropped the yeah, ball but, again. Yeah, but then they do resolve everything rather quickly. It's the same with kind of the conflict between him and uh, Don, Don and Gilda. Yeah, mm. and it's again that that thing of okay, I guess I I can accept you going for the optimistic solution, but then you can't raise these questions and ignore yeah. them. 
You have to at least address them. Hmm. There would have been so many more interesting ways to show how the world had adv- the human world had advanced instead of just exposition dumps. Like we could have had maybe one of the kids at one of the rehabilitation facilities for the mass-produced farm kids and like actually see that and be like, damn, the world has changed. And again, it's just putting us into the perspective of more characters hmm. would have been nice uh, to to give us all this information in a natural feeling That's way. Good uh, I guess to so just because we've we've mentioned questions, but I've not actually shouted out any of the Reddit users who said these, which would be a shame if they on the off chance that they were listening to this. So, where did it went wrong? Is from Edge underscore Incarnate, and favorite slash least favorite characters in the whole manga was from Pick Minor five zero eight seven. So yeah, that that was that. Thank you for the questions. Um, Yes. We've got another one from J137. How would you rate each individual arc? Let's just go each arc like individually give our ratings that way. Rather than all yeah. of us give them in a row. Uh, okay. So, um, I'm going to say Gracefield House, I'd give that an 8. I'd give it a full 10 myself. I'll be boring and give it a 9. Hey, an uh, average of a uh, nine. Uh, although, although I, d- I don't know, but maybe I'll, uh, I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven j- just for not being a very good act one. Okay, the the forest mini arc with Sonju and Mujica. Uh, I'm gonna give that a seven. Yeah, I seven and a half. Mm-hmm. I can't really go for an eight, but I think I'm not quite at seven either. Mm-hmm. So seven okay. and a half. I haven't reread it in a while, so I'm just going by my um, first and second read-through experiences, but I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Uh, then the Goldie Pond arc, I'm going to give that a five. Uh, do we include the first encounter with Yugo in yeah. Goldie Pond? Yeah, we'll say from the first encounter with Yugo to the end of them getting out of Goldie Pond. <laughs> Alright, in that case, I would say four. Four. Like, I like the early stuff, but I really do not like once they get to Goldie Pond. So maybe four and a half again. Yeah, it's it's a very even balance of things I like and things I don't like for it's me. I could go for four or five, but overall I'm pretty low on it. I'm gonna give it a six just for Lovis. Lovis! Uh, then, uh... Okay, I might have bumped myself to 6-2 with Lovis. <laughs> I'm gonna say we're gonna... I'll just divide the rest into... Uh, yeah, I'll just make okay. the, the, the shall, shall we just do the the final arc for the last one because there are lots of little ones, but they're all kind of part of a big one. Um, shall I check the wiki? Um, the, the thing is, I've I've checked the wiki and they're all very split up into little ones like Kuviditala, the Seven Walls, uh, the the invasion and uh, the the return to Gracefield, and I all kind of view it as one big big clump. But well, then it's hard to give like a rating for it because mm. there's so many different things that I cannot give a singular rating if we put everything Okay, fine. We'll do Okay, so arc. we'll do like the the attack from Andrew arc, which I'm going to give like a 3. <laughs> uh what? The the attack the attack on the base from Andrew mini arc. I'm giving it a 2. And that one is only because of the chapter with Hugo. Yeah, so <laughs> Yeah. And then I think I'm going to bunch together I'm going to bunch together the reintroduction of Norman and Emma going to the Seven Walls to make a new promise into one arc, if that's okay. And I mm-hmm. think I'd give... I think I'd give that, like, a... a maybe a six or a seven. I'd uh, go for six, too. I, I'd give it a solid five. And then, uh, the big palace invasion, uh, the, the capital invasion, uh, I will give this a four... 
I'm also on 4 because mm. it had a few decent things, but overall it just failed to live up to the potential. And had some real is it real head scratchers like wait what? Uh, upon a reread, I am gonna I am gonna just give it maybe a six, but because I enjoyed it much more, uh, and um, I did I did think that it was it was a rare moment for, uh, from the Promised Neverland that they they like introduced a power from uh, one of the demons, uh, the multiple cores in the in the royal family. And they built some more stuff on it by having mm. Lovis survive. Yeah. Uh, all, all, all the arcs I like uh, are related to Lovis, basically. <laughs> Fucking Lovis! <laughs> Fucking Lovis! I will say, I think I'd like that arc a lot more if it had the similar attention to world building and a sense of place that the forest arc did. Because I did, so I, yeah, I, I really like the way that both the forest arc, it, it kind of feels like they're slowly discovering the world, and I like that they use the storybooks to do that it ties in nicely with like the fantasy fairy tale in a warped way motif um did they really because yeah. i recall like maybe two times they used the storybook for that and then just drop yeah, yeah. it'd have been nice if they committed it to it more i think they use it enough in the forest arc to get them to like the basics um but yeah uh, i'd have just liked i'd have liked more of a sense of what the palace was like and how they got in, and I don't really have much of a sense of place for it. I'm, there's mostly just, like, the big hallway where um, Norman confronts the Queen. Anyway, uh, to go on to the next one, it's... Then we'll do, like, the Return to Gracefield house arc, which I guess... Uh, I guess I'll give it, like, a 5. Maybe a 4.5, I think. 3.5 is highest I'd go, because that one just mm. started devolving. Because I think, yeah, Is Isabella's sudden death is the most actively angry I've gotten with the series. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Plus Peter Rotary just being awful. Apart, apart from, uh, apart from uh, like the final confrontation with uh, Emma and Peter Rotary, I'm going to give it a maybe 4.5, yeah. Okay. And then we have a, 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 the biggest, our biggest question, uh, which is from Mary Amperson. Uh, discuss the philosophical slash ideological themes in TPN, like veganism, farming, demon society and hierarchy, royal family, the emotional journey of the characters, and the legacy of dead characters. Obviously, there are more themes present. Try delving into these topics. And now, I'm not. Whoa, I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Okay, I am not. Yeah, that's a lot so to I am that's not like planning. Okay, to be clear, I, I did. I was very last minute about farming these questions. I am not going to dump all of these topics on you because I'm not going to go into all of them. Sorry, Mary, <laughs> but. The one that sticks out for me is the way it handles royalty is weird. Um, yeah. Like, I like the idea, on the one hand, of the demons having this hierarchical society where the higher-ups are making things needlessly shit just because it keeps them in power. So, you know, <laughs> very real right there. Um, but the way that the chapter where they're just like, I'm a part of the old... Lewis is like, I'm a part of the old system. Also, we need a new queen. <laughs> It's, mm, it comes out it's of nowhere. A, <laughs> it, it kind of does the same thing as uh, as Oda does, where, where he like uh, keeps have having these monarchs, uh, these tyrants that are just bad eggs. But but mm. uh, yeah, th th that's all they are: uh, individual bad mm. apples, and uh, you just have to replace them with the good kings. It's it's not like it's yeah. not like. And I will say, uh, I am I'm not really a monarchist, and I do disagree with that on a fund on a ideological level but i do think promise neverland executes it a bit worse than oda does because even oda is like he'll at least establish a good king 
as opposed to yeah, like and even then, usually the bad king is the invader aside from waffle like just the guy who just kicked I mean the that also kind of ties in with like a, a very traditionalist approach that one piece had which is sort of weirdly yeah. at odds with its upstart thing but like yeah, yeah that is, is something that would be discussed but this is not a one yeah piece yeah podcast. um but I will say like it is just I feel like not only do I not agree with the way it's like we need a new monarchy, but also it's it it's comes very out of left field in this particular series. As for, as for legacy of dead, dead characters, uh, I didn't feel like the, this was a theme that was particularly strong in the series, apart from maybe like the Ratries um, <laughs> keeping on the, the legacy of the... I, I kind of got that in a couple of instances. Okay. Like... I don't remember where it was. It's one of Emma's many like monologues about how how far they've come. I th- I think this was actually at the end where um they'd finally defeated Peter and she had flashbacks to her, a bunch of dead characters like um Hugo and the bunch. Uh, it's like oh, but thanks to all of their efforts, we were able to come this far. And then there was also with the Queen when she was um becoming an Akira monster and and and. Be- and basically, her greed was catching up to her. We had lots the images of lots of various characters um, that had been made food for the nobles that she'd essentially eaten pop back out again and be like, the people that you have consumed are now working against you. Um, so it was touched on in a couple of instances. Yeah, I'm just not sure how well it does with veganism because while it does raise like those points, they're kind of modeled by the one fact that one, the... The ones being in here are sapient, which I do get can be used effectively, but two, they just give it up really easily once they learn, oh, they're used to control us. Well, I'm not going to eat meat mm. anymore. Like, it's another thing that bring up and I, never address. Um, I, kind of, uh, I kind of find it... It's interesting, but uh, because Son- Sonju is taught about uh, about his teacher, look, Prince, I will teach you about the circle of life, which I think Jack Sane did... Uh, um, a great video on the aspect of establishing a social hierarchy and justifying it uh, with this kind of philosophy, if this works as a metaphor. So I've just got like a few, a few like stray points to go through, and then I'm I'm done. So I legit forgot that the detour to find medicine for Chris didn't lead them right to Norman's base, because that would have made so much more sense as streamlined the plot, and instead we just have this weird little vignette. Uh, where all that's really achieved is that, like, Emma and the gang are introduced to Bag on Face Kid. Uh, that's kind of it. You could have just had it be like, okay, they're, they're taken to Norman's base. Uh, I, I guess they just wanted to have some feature for Anna, who's the fifth most favourite character in the entire series. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, she was surprisingly popular. I, I love that Phil is fourth billing behind the three mains. It's great, like the fandom meme of, of Phil is, is such a big widespread thing. <laughs> I do genuinely love I do not love, love the that. lack of love for Don and Gilda, though. Yeah, they're, they're fine. Yeah, I like them in the first arc, since they were like the ones who were not as smart, but still had their own roles. Yeah. Especially mm. since Phil was the one who was like not as smart, but more eager to act, even without thinking it all through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another So another victim of, 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 of Shirai's very plot-driven focus later on over character is um, Aishi, the feral demon girl. She felt more like she was just introduced to be a convenience. We got barely any chance for her to be a character, and that sucks because that's 
such an interesting concept for a character. Yeah. I, I really liked her for one chapter, and after that, she just disappeared off the series. Yeah, the, the chapter with the backstory is one of my fav uh, favorite chapters in the latter portion of the series. Mm. Um, the man with Emma hair in the flashback to how the promise happened is really weird. Um, it, it's very, it, it's just, I, I don't know why they did that. Uh, I completely forgot about yes. him. Uh, and then my last point is, the way that the demons are handled when they're like, they're sort of, they, they, they evolve based on what they, they eat is quite similar to the Chimera Ants from Hunter Hunter. And I'm just going to use this as an excuse to shill Hunter Hunter, where if you want an arc that delves into this kind of freak... Uh, organism that becomes a very dominant force, and the philosophical ramifications of that, and has a cool conflict between them and humans, and has some subversions, but is still a very satisfying arc with some great payoffs. Just watch Hunter Hunter. Hunter Hunter's great. Uh, or read it. I do recommend the 2011 anime much a lot, though. Just any chance to get more people on board the Hunter Hunter train is a good one. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> Long as you're prepared for the hiatus. Yeah, again, if you're just binging through it, that's not really an issue. But then it's just mm. gonna end with and to be continued. Also, I I find that the um the, the 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 current arc is more extra content to me. Like it basically ends after the election arc. Like that's a good end point, which is where like the 2011 anime ends. So yeah. Anyway, that's all my. So, so again, a, re a recommendation for the Promised Neverland. Just end after uh, just end after Gracefield Dark. Mm -hmm. And then recommendation for Hunter Hunter, watch or read Hunter Hunter. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess, yeah, any more concluding thoughts? Um, this is a, It's a series that, like, I'm glad that I've been able to put my bitterness to bed on and just weigh up the pros and cons. Because I feel like throughout its run, it's not been, like, it's not been a straight downhill drop. It's been varying in consistency. And it's been interesting to reevaluate where... I feel like its strengths and weaknesses are. Any any other closing thoughts? Not really. I think I got everything I had to say about it, because mm. towards the end, I just had so few feelings about the series. Yeah. I'm just gonna say that uh, Goldie Pond is my favourite One Piece character. <laughs> <laughs> Booyah. Alright, so, uh, sh things to shill, because we gotta do that. Uh, the... The piano-y theme you heard is composed by a guy called Milo Jack Stillitz at soundcloud.com slash Milo-Jack-Stillitz. Don't know who that guy is, uh, <laughs> but I like... Oh, he also did my intro. Yeah, funny that. Um, And then, yeah, check out, please check out me and Wensleydale's new podcast, Duckface Diaries. Uh, do you want to explain a bit about that, Wensleydale? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, that's uh, that's the um, uh, that's a World Trigger read through podcast aiming to discuss uh, the World Trigger manga volume by volume. We uh, we've just released the second episode of that, discussing volume two. Uh, so go listen to that. Uh, it's on Anchor.fm/slash Cheddar. That's where all the links are to all the podcast platforms, uh, to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Breaker, Radio Public. Uh, Pocket Cars, Google Podcasts, and uh, and of course you can also find it on YouTube at youtube.com slash c slash Wensleydale Cheddar. Yes, indeed. And also, uh, this podcast is now on Anchor. Uh, I'm not on quite as many platforms as Duckface yet, but it is definitely on there and Spotify. I will add more platforms uh, as we it, go along. And it's on Breaker, I think. Is it on Breaker as well? Okay, great. Um, 
I will post links to places in in the YouTube description to places you can download an audio version of this podcast. Um, okay, a podcast, a podcast so far. Okay, great. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, Grail. Any anything else you wanna you wanna plug? No, I'm not the guy who does content. Yeah, I'm just the guy who crashes your parties. Yeah, you can follow him at Nuclear Android on Twitter. Uh, I believe Jonah is Jonah Left Snow on Instagram. Uh, uh yeah, that, that's right. And I'm at Wensley Cheddar. Yeah, and I'm at Hoven with an H on Twitter. And yeah, so that has been our uh, our our. Our podcast on the Promised Neverland. Thank you very much. It's been a longer one than usual. To think, when I, when I, before I had the idea of doing this, I was worried I wouldn't have enough to say on this series. <laughs> it, it just goes to show. And meanwhile, I just host uh, like half an hour podcast, and that's it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, thank you very much for listening. See you later. See ya. Later. Let's live together. Let's not. Okay, come to Finland. It sucks over there.